3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation's true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. And good morning, listeners. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, 8.55am. And Thursday morning breakfast is back in the studio. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, this morning, um, your hosts are Carly Scheherazade on mic one and Priya, mic three. (laughs) Welcome both. Hello, hello. I love the um, acknowledgements of the mics as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've I've already forgotten the order of the mics in the room, so... (laughs) And the also a um, big shout out to our producer, Rosie, as well, who is um, in studio too, helping yeah. us produce the show. Safely in studio too. COVID safely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're really excited to bring you a live show again. Uh, we won't be producing this two days in advance um, and you'll be getting live news as well, which is really exciting. Um, so it's also not one day in advance news. <laughs> yeah, we've had to drag Kate out of bed um, to come back on the show, but hopefully not too much of a struggle. Um, but yeah, it's really it's really lovely to be back. It's a beautiful day. Um, it looks like it's going to be shaping up to be a nice weekend as well. And I don't know, feeling pretty positive about this week. And we've got some great content for you as well. Um, do you want to go through a quick rundown of what we've got on the show today? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, of course, we're going to kick it off with the news with Kate Kelly. But after that, um, I'll be playing an interview that I did with Savannah and Kim Kruger, who are mother and daughter and members of the Warrior Woman Lane Project Working Group, cousins of Lisa Belair and part of her Melbourne Aboriginal community. And they joined me to discuss honoring Lisa Belair's life and legacy and the Warrior Woman Lane uh, NAIDOC event for this year. Um, and after that, I'm going to be playing another interview that I did with Arika Walu, um, Daydem, who is uh, joining me to discuss their sovereign-led land-back initiative, Wern of Kanak, and we'll provide you with a bit more information on where to find, uh, yeah, find out more about Wern of Kanak and the fundraiser later on. Um, and Shahrazad? Yeah, and then uh, we've got two live interviews. Um, so the first one... Um, we'll be with Fan Yang, who is doing a PhD on content production on WeChat in Australia, or so-called, um, and who also does research on QR code, smart cities, data privacy and surveillance. So she'll be, well, not coming in, but joining us on the phone to talk about um, QR codes, COVID and surveillance in Australia and broader contextual stuff overseas. And... Yeah, and then last up, we're going to be talking with Viv Marlow from the Beyond the Bars project, which is designed to give Indigenous prisoners a voice, uh, and it com- encompasses music and spoken word workshops facilitated by Indigenous presenters from 3CR, and the project culminates in six radio shows that uh, were previously broadcast live earlier this year, um, a part of NADOC Week, uh, which is generally between um, July 8th to 12th, but uh, listeners, NADOC Week is this week um, in the year of 2020. 
So, yeah, excited to speak with Viv because I'm so glad that Beyond the Bars still did that broadcasting and, yeah, big shout-outs to all of the Beyond the Bars team that made that happen um, so that they could still phone in to prisons all across so-called Victoria. And earlier on this year, we played some audio from the women in Dame Phyllis Frost Prison. So, yeah, definitely try and um, attend the launch, which is airing today, 2 to 2.30 p.m., um, and if not, buy the CD or just head on to the 3CR website so that you can listen to some of those conversations from people inside. And yeah, um, just wanted to add for listeners that aren't familiar, um, Beyond the Bars is something that Lisa Belair was was really involved in, um, that she really, really cared about. And if you head to uh, warriorwomanlane.com as well, you can hear some of some of the broadcasting that Lisa Belair did around Beyond the Bars at 3CR. And... Any other updates that we want to give folks? Oh, yeah. Also, uh, so there's been a call out um, for the Japarong Festival of Resistance, which will be held this weekend on country, on Japarong country. Um, and it's a day of uh, music and resistance, uh, resisting the, well, let's just say the colonial colony i guess um and the um resisting the high uh the western highway uh upgrade which is destroying aboriginal land and now we're going to head to some live news updates with kate kelly good morning i'm kate kelly and here are the top stories on 3cr this thursday Morning, guys. Hey, Kate. How are you? Calling you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what news have you got for us this morning? I love this. Okay, so first we are going to federal parliament where yesterday Sarah Hanson Young has secured a Senate in- did secure a Senate inquiry into media diversity after the popularity of Kevin Rudd's petition for a Royal Commission into News Corp. So both former Prime Ministers Kevin Rudd and Malcolm Turnbull will be called to give evidence at the inquiry, which will examine the dominance of News Corp Australia and its impact on democracy. So the Green Senator uh, won support for the inquiry on Wednesday um, and um, she said that News Corp Australia's editors and commercial executives, alongside both independent and regional and rural editors, will also be called to give evidence. Um, the terms of reference for the Senate inquiry do not mention News Corp Australia or Rupert Murdoch specifically, but they do call for an examination of the state of media diversity, independence and reliability in Australia and the impact this has on public interest, journalism and democracy. And in a big report, climate Climate policy experts have said Australia needs to set a more ambitious 2030 climate commitment to reach a carbon-neutral economy. So Australia could become a carbon-neutral economy by 2050 thanks to abundance of cheap solar and wind energy, the report says, but we need we will need to do a lot more um, than um, the current climate target to get there. So the path to net to net zero emissions is technically and economically feasible for Australia, the report says, and it lays it all out and would align the country with the Paris Climate Agreement as signed in 2016. 
And such a transition um, would also create tens of thousands of new jobs in renewable energy industries and future-proof the country from economic shocks. Um, as the rest of the world moves away from the fossil fuels. So this report, which has um, essentially been done for, um, by Climate Action Tracker, just lays out the pathways for us to get to net zero emissions by 2050. Um, and it obviously comes as many of Australia's key trading partners, um, including Japan and South Korea, have endorsed a net zero target by 2050, leaving us as, with, as international outliers with the U.S. The Morrison government has refused to budge on its current targets and has said only that it will aim to reach net zero by the second half of this um, century, a position that some experts have argued is completely at odds with us signing the Paris Agreement. And lastly, the federal government is refusing to reveal the cost of running a permanent expanded Centrelink cashless debit card scheme despite a trial in which the private card operator was paid up to 10000 in taxpayer funding to manage each card of welfare recipients receiving less than 15000 a year, before that, and that was before the pandemic. So neither the federal government nor cashless welfare card operator, INDU, will say how much, the, how much Australians will be forced to fork out to make the cashless welfare scheme permanent, citing commercial incompetence. And the, and the potential to impact future activities. The Australian Council of Social Services, which has been really against the cashless card, has previously estimated the initial trials cost tax, taxpayer almost $19 million, of which just under $10 million went to Indu. So the cards the cards freeze up to 80% of low-income recipients' payments, so that money can be spent on what the government deems is essential and prohibits things like buying alcohol. Businessman Andrew Forrest initially um, developed the scheme as part of a 2014 review, um, and the scheme has been criticised for a range of um, a range of things, but the number one thing being completely racist, as it's targeted towards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. Um, and the federal government has since introduced cashless debit card trials in South Australia um, in, and in Western Australia and now up in Queensland. And that's it for Thursday's headlines. Thanks so much, Kate. And, yeah, on the cashless debit card, what an absolute farce of a scheme. Um, you know, if you want to find out more about that, I think you can look up the hashtag Stop the CDC on Twitter because there's been a lot of good posting around the current Senate inquiry into the card. Yeah, and I just want to also um, just raise this uh, push for media diversity um, by the government uh, when it was explicitly to call for inquiry into Murdoch Press. Uh, and we know that representation on um, in media, in the systems of media, doesn't actually change the system. Um, yeah, a perfect example is uh, places like um, SBS, who have, um, on the face of it, um, all uh, black and pox staff um, pre presenting the news and that sort of thing, but behind it, calling the shots, you've got white men in sort of more powerful positions saying what news is and what news isn't. Um, and we also see this, I just, <laughs> I remember um, there was a, a special Western Sydney reporter like a few years ago in, for ABC. Um, and yeah, he was just on the field reporting 
things from his community, but then reporting it in a way that's very extractive um, because then because it doesn't change the system. We, we know this. We know that um, representation doesn't actually change the system. So this is just a way to, to colour wash um, the actual issue. Yeah, it sort of ends up... Um you know, exploiting your own communities for the for the sake of a show, um, which I think we can agree is something that we try not to do on community radio for the best of, uh, to the best of our ability. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Couldn't yeah. agree more, Priya. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think we've seen that also with like the U.S. election. It's oh always like you know, fighting against the lesser evil when it comes to democracy and, yeah, representation. And it's just, that's not the way that it should be. Yeah, but haven't you heard that <laughs> Joe Biden is going to be the first ever Catholic president? <laughs> and Kamala Harris. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was this really great video going around because um, people have been, like, also then criticising um, people celebrating um Kamala Harris's nomination and mm. successful, well, being the first black woman um, and South Asian woman um, and woman. <laughs> so that, it ticks a few boxes, doesn't it? <laughs> um, um, vice president, um, but that it's representational politics. She doesn't actually want to abolish the police, for example, which is very detrimental to black populations, um, you know, in the States, but also around the world. Um, so, but also where that could also be, I think, well, okay, I think I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> I mean, Essentially, the issues are settler colonialism and white supremacy. <laughs> and empire. And empire, especially. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I think that we should go into um, our first... First interview. interview. So, um, yep, just to... Reminder that this is an interview with mother and daughter Savannah and Kim Kruger, members of the Warrior Woman Lane Project Working Group, cousins of Lisa Belair and members of her Aboriginal uh, Melbourne Aboriginal community, and they discuss honouring Lisa Belair's life and legacy. You can find out more about this at warriorwomanlane.com. But for now, let's go to the interview. Hi, Savannah and Kim. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you, Priya. Thanks for having us. No worries. So... Um, Maybe before we kick it off, uh, would you like to introduce yourselves in a little bit more detail for listeners? Sure. So I'm Kim Kruger. Um, I'm on the um, Worry Woman Lane Working Project um, Working Group, as you said. I'm also a lecturer and researcher at um, Victoria University with Mandani Balak Academic Centre. Um, and Lisa was your cousin. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm Savannah Kruger. I'm also Lisa's cousin, um, and I am an artist and curator, among other things. In that vein, some brand new artwork was launched this past Monday, the 9th of November, on Warrior Woman Lane, just in time for the start of NADOC Week 2020, and it honours the life and legacy of Lisa Blair, who's a Minjungbo Grumpel and Nunical and South Sea Islander woman who was, among other things, a prolific activist, photographer, broadcaster on 3CR, poet, feminist, politician, comedian, academic, and performer. So I know that's a, that's a big list of descriptors, but maybe could you tell us a bit more about Lisa's life and contributions to the Melbourne community? Well, first of 
Well, for long-term 3CR listeners, they'll know that she was a broadcaster with 3CR for over 20 years with a show called Not Another Crew Show that she um, started with um, Destiny Deacon and Janina Harding. Um, and I was a trainee on that show, so I had um, my got my broadcasting chops. Uh, thank you, 3CR, um, there. So, um, you know, and that was important because um, all of those women, um, you know, thought it was important for Aboriginal voices to be heard in radio, all, that, all the issues that we face. Um, and for young people to learn how to speak in public, like radio is so, so um, important for that. Um, and, yeah, Lisa continued that on for 20 years, as well as doing all her other things. So uh, at the time that I met her, she was the Aboriginal Liaison Officer at Melbourne Uni. Um, she uh, was a qualified social worker. Uh, and she was really known around the traps for... Um, just turning up for people, so uh, always with her um, interviewing people for radio or um, taking their pictures um, uh, and sitting on committees. You know, she was a founding member of Ilbidri Theatre. She was, uh, you know, helped um, uh, organise the um, Stolen Generations organisation, which is now called Connecting Home. You know, she she was on the Sorry Day Committee. She worked at the Women's Refuge. You know, anything and everything that people asked her to do, she would do. Um, you know, so, um, and because of that, she's a very well-loved and remembered member of the community. But the, but the broadcasting was kind of really important and key because, you know, it was a sort of way to tie all those things together. Thank you. Yeah. So um, maybe we can go back a bit to, because I know Warrior Woman Lane um, was originally named or renamed in 2018. And I'm aware that you're part of working to make that happen. So um, what was the significance of renaming uh, Warrior Woman Lane to, to, to kick off sort of honoring the legacy of Lisa Blair? So it, um, the, the way it came about was um, the Victorian Women's Trust um, were talk, talking to the City of Melbourne and, and advocating, saying there's not enough um, recognition of women to the, you know, and their contribution to the life of the city. So they researched 100 women um, and gave, gave City of Melbourne a list of 100 women um, that they should, should be... Um, you know, acknowledged in some way, whether through street naming and so on. Um, and within that group, Koori Women Mean Business um, made sure that there were 30 Aboriginal women in the list. Um, and Lisa was the first one that um, Victorian Women's Trust, they just loved everything about Lisa's, you know, dynamism, I guess, like that, you know, that she was a feminist, that she was creative, you know, she was a poet um, and a politician. photographer. Yeah, all that, you know, a politician. Um, she was an MC. She, um, you know, she had so, she was so interested in so many aspects of community. And as Savannah mentioned, she was a politician. She ran for, um, you know, local council with the city of Collingwood. Um, you know, so she was, she was a civic person. She was very interested in, 
in civic life, you know, all and not just in the Aboriginal community, but in lots of different communities. Um, so, yeah, so that's why with the Women's Trust was so um, put her forward first. Um, and then we went through this process of um, that you can't actually, the City of Melbourne has a naming convention where you can't use a person's first name. So it's very difficult then to know <laughs> if you're honouring people, you know, uh, if you're just using a surname, uh, you know, then who was that woman or who, who was that man or person or, you know. So, um, yeah, so that was a thing to get around. Um, and it also couldn't just be her, her surname um, because there was a, a similar, um, similar, similarly named street. Um, so... Um, yeah, we just kind of thought about how do you get around all <laughs> all that stuff. But we, you know, we're creative and um, innovative people, <laughs> and we went and looked up, um, looked back to her poetry, um, and in one of her poems, um, which listeners might be familiar with, um, called Hanover Street Brunswick three zero five six. Um, she actually calls herself a warrior woman. So, you know, the line, you know, it's about running up the shops to get, you know, some milk and a woman's day and um, meeting a little kid on the street and um, having a little moment of, um, you know, sort of acknowledgement and recognition and wondering if they'll remember her in 20 years' time, what, the, remember this warrior woman. So... So we, we picked that up and, and named the street after her in that way. Yeah, that's beautiful. So with the artwork and the text up this week in Warrior Woman Lane, I know Charlotte Allingham and Tim Ball have, uh, have put that together um, and it provides viewers some windows into Lisa's world. So could you tell us a bit about how the display came together and why it was important to do it now? Well, I guess um, linking back to what Mum was talking about before with, um, yeah, the, the choosing of the name, um, we realised with it being uh, named Warrior Woman Lane um, that people wouldn't um, necessarily understand maybe what what the meaning behind that was. And so it became uh, clear that um there should be some works in the laneway to really show, oh yeah, this is this is about Lisa Belair, um, and is about her legacy. Um, so yeah, we uh, commissioned um, Charlotte to uh, work together with the working group um, to yeah, basically collaborate to create um, this large piece uh, in the laneway. Um, and then there's also a piece that kind of includes, you know, more information about her and her bio and includes lots of little details and Easter eggs to those who knew her, um, you know, are just about all the things that she was involved with and, and the identities that, you know, she um, embodied. Um, and then, of course, um, the third piece, as you mentioned, is um, just a kind of, a paste up of uh, Timmerball's visual essay um, that was first published in um, The Black Brow, um, The Lifted Brow's uh, Black 
Women edition in, oh, was that last year, 2019? 2018. 2018, oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's just a really great essay, um, you know, kind of from Timmer's perspective as, you know, an urban planner. Um, you know, what does it mean to be black in urban spaces? Um, and obviously, um, being inspired by, you know, Lisa's poetry um, and her book, Dreaming in Urban Areas. Um, yeah, and just really, really exploring all of that. Um, so that's, yeah, basically just a kind of bigger version of um, what's in the in the magazine. Um, but, yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I, you know, it had to have some um, life and creativity and, um, yeah, some kind of representation of, of Lisa in there. And I think, um, I mean, first of all, I don't really know what she would think of having this kind of honour. Um, I don't know that she would think or that she would feel that she deserved it, but um, I think she would just be so wrapped with, um, you know, having deadly artists like Charlotte and, and amazing writers like Timma, you know, honour her in such a way, I think she would just be so, yeah, wrapped by it. Yeah, and I think she, um, when you said that, I was just thinking that she, if if she was alive, and they don't name streets after um, people still living, unfortunately, yeah, I reckon that if she was alive, she would have said, no, it shouldn't be about me, it should be about everyone. And, and I think that's why, also partly why we wanted to have younger women's work represented in, in the lane because, you know, we want to recognise too that, um, you know, Lisa existed in a, a continuum of warrior women. Like she learnt, you know, from these wicked aunts, you know, in the Melbourne Aboriginal community and from her own family um, and she was passing all that on to the next generation, like, you know, by dragging me to 3CR to learn to do public speaking, you know, and by babysitting people like Savannah and, you know, all, and Sophia and Elia, who, who are all, um, and, um, you know, the next generation and, and not just family, but, um, you know, people all throughout the community, like, like people like Twit Timmer and especially, um, you know, sort of young, queer women who um, who have come up to me over the years to say that, you know, they found a great comfort in Lisa's writing, you know, that that was, like, really amazing to come across their work because, you know, he was someone that had felt all the things that they'd felt and, and been out and proud and loud about it. So, um, yeah, so we, I don't want or what the kind of work that we do, the art, that we do in the lane to be like a memorial. I want it to be like a living, dynamic thing where we're constantly reiterating Lisa's values about, you know, centering yourself in community and contributing and participating in community, um, you know, in that continuum that you um, don't just come in and do whatever you like. There's there's governance and there's a way to be in the world and, and not just to talk about it either, but to actually enact it. So always I think this, you know, these things, that's what I what I what would like to see people get from it anyway, yeah. Yeah, and I think um from from what I've seen from from pictures that have been posted up about it already, it really it feels like a conversation with the community more than 
you know, a standalone exhibition. And I think that really kind of speaks to the, to the really strong community minded person that, that you've described Lisa to be. Um, so I guess before we wrap up, where can listeners find out more about uh, Lisa Belair and Warrior Woman Lane? They can go to the lane <laughs> and we'll read the posters and there's a QR code um, in the posters. So there's links to 3CR, Corey Heritage Trust, the Women's Trust and their, um, you know, recognition of the contribution of women um, project to Korean Women Mean Business, um, to Timmer Ball's essay, uh, all sorts of things. Um, and some things will be added to that as we go. So I think City of Melbourne are doing a little sort of art doco on, on the process for the project. And, um, yeah, and for those that can't uh, physically access the um, laneway, uh, you can access that website. Um, it's just warriorwomanlane.com. Thank you both so, so much for taking the time to speak with me, um, for sharing your experiences and your relationship with Lisa and, you know, how this project came to fruition. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Priya. So that was an interview with mother and daughter Savannah and Kim Kruger, who are members of the Warrior Woman Lane Project Working Group, cousins of Lisa Belair, and part of her Melbourne Aboriginal community, who spoke with us about honouring Lisa Belair's life and legacy. You're on Thursday Breakfast. This is 3CR, 855 AM. And now we're going to go into a song. So this one is by Bayoung. Sugarcane, it's off a new EP called Not From Here um, and it features Bayang and Sevi. So I definitely recommend for listeners to check out the whole EP, but this one's Sugarcane. We've been sitting, kicking back, chewing sugar cane, drip, 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 drain the fluid built up on my brain, sick, 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 devil calls me in the pouring rain, kids don't slip, let you slip an underwater grave, sitting, kicking back, chewing sugar cane, drip, 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 drain the fluid built up on my brain, sick, 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 devil calls me in the pouring rain, kids don't slip, let you slip an underwater grave, yeah, we'll meet you at the foreshore, foreshore, like we'll pull up in the four-door to where my spirit been at war since before born You're on soul that's in poor form I've been shaking up these wavelengths long form And been rattling the chain links on core Couldn't care about a source Broke the noise and make it roar I ain't chugging on the smoke rails Waiting here for more So apocalypse is knocking at the door That's the calm before the storm For the angels blood off horn But I felt the old order getting worn Seen the cracks up in the walls Now it's rotten to the core Fuck them all, time's up Knuckle down on brawl, buckle down for walks, we know Babylon will fall. I can hear the four horsemen saddle up and all, but before you run, you gotta learn to crawl. Hey, we've been sitting, kicking back, chewing sugar cane, drip, 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 drain the fluid built up on my brain. They will cause me in the pouring rain, kids don't slip, let you slip an underwater grave. Hey, sitting, kicking back, chewing sugar cane, drip, 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 drain the fluid built up on my brain. Devil calls me in the pouring rain. Kids don't sleep. Let's just sleep in underwater grave.
just then we heard Sugarcane by Bayang off the new EP from Sevian Bayang, Not From Here. And now we're going to go into a conversation that Priya had with Arika uh, Walu, who discusses their sovereign land back initiative, Warren of Kanak. Hi, Arika. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Hi, Nyata. Um, thank you very much for having me um, on your show. Of course. Um, so could you start by letting listeners know a little bit more about yourself? Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm um, a Gunajmara and Gunai sovereign. My language groups are the Kure Wurrung, uh, Jap Wurrung, Peak Wurrung and Dehurt Wurrung. And, yeah, I am also come from the... Um, other side of Victoria, which is the Gunai Nation. Um, yeah. So I've grown up, um, I've had the, the privilege of growing up on both of my countries, both sides of Victoria, born in Melbourne, and yeah, I've predominant, like I've lived in black communities in, in, um, around the state, um, even in Melbourne. I've grown up in, um, my community here. I lived on, um, grew up most of my childhood on an Aboriginal mission, um, Lake Tyres, Banyanda, in East Gippsland, um, where my mother's country is. Yeah, so I've, I've grown up learning, um, my country and different, you know, landscapes and waterscapes, um, learning about my different animals and, and stories and, just you know, I've been raised by by the village or the community um, from you know from predominantly three different parts of Victoria. So I grew up learning my Gunai language, and now I'm learning my Kure Wurrung, a Japarung language. And yeah, I've um, come to know my responsibilities um, through my experiences of growing up on country and. The experience of living on country and, and understanding my responsibilities, I guess, has, has brought me to this, um, this initiative, um, Warren of Kanak and a few other, you know, um, circumstances, um, like being, um, restricted from going back to country has made it more of an urge, urgent situation for myself, um, but also a lot of other mob, my family members, um, whose um, country we share with and particularly um, our families who have been stuck in the city and in urban areas and, yeah, the need to, to be, to have a safe space um, on our country um, has grown, I think, through, um, it was, I guess it's been highlighted through the, um, the restrictions of this year's um, pandemic. I mean, I think... What you're speaking to there is sort of the importance of, of being able to be out on country and to be able to connect with, you know, a landscape that has been um, restricted from you, but also restricted from you for a very long time in various ways. So maybe I'm wondering if we can um, hear a little bit more about what uh, Warren of Kanak is and where did it start, as you've already gestured to a bit, and, and what you hope to achieve. Uh, yeah, so Warren of Kanak, Warren means um, home or house, and that 
that's the name for our traditional houses that we built um, out of the kulo, the stone, the lava stone. These were uh, villages that were made up of thousands of of these houses, huge villages that were made out of this kulo stone. And, um, yeah, some of these houses were had multiple rooms in them, depending on how many people they had in their family. One of the biggest recorded um, warrens was 19 foot long, so huge, huge houses and um, or living spaces. Um, very, it's very cold down in that country, so yeah, we had, you know, intricately designed these houses to be, you know, warm um, during the winter times, and then once the country was burnt off in that area. We could go back um, and uh, rebuild the the roof, I guess. So the base was always in place, not affected by the fires. Yeah, so Warren, yeah, it's the home. It's my home. It's a very powerful word to me. It's, it's um, yeah, home is the base and, you know, home is, as some people say, is where the heart is. But, um, yeah, I think... In our terms, you know, your home is also the country, you know, it's the landscape, it's the waterscapes, it's not just where you sleep and where you carry out your domestic um, ways. Um, so, yeah, Canuck is digging stick. That's a, um, a common word that's also used in um, across the Gunishmara Nation. Yeah, so... I guess the Canuck is um, a gardening tool that my grandmothers used to nurture the land and collect their foods and build with. Um, they were building tools, gardening tools. They were multi, had multi uses. So I guess that's um, also holds a lot of power. And they were, you know, they were law holding instruments as well and my countries uh, um, of the Gunishmara nation are um, all matriarchal law country and um, women were the um, known as the the land the land owners and also the law um, makers of the land so you follow your grandmother's line and you follow your grandmother's law and that's very common across um, this continent um, not all people are matriarchal, but most um, peoples are matriarchal. Yeah, I mean, I think that also, you know, the sort of definition of the name also kind of speaks to a bit of the purpose of, of what you're trying to achieve with the initiative. So maybe we can go into that and, and thinking about, you know, what are some of the plans um, for Warren of Kanak? Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, the plan, I guess, is to, you know, try and get some, some land base that we can, we can work and, um, grow some bush foods, um, our traditional foods and medicines. That's, you know, the, I guess the real roots of this initiative is to create spaces of healing. And a lot of our people are, um, in need of that living in in the urban area like it's it's such a necessity um to have access to 
the healing opportunity to heal. Yeah, so the roots of the initiative is to to have an art space for people, create a space for people to heal and, you know, customise that space to really um, foremostly, like, accommodate the people of the country, of that country, and then also then have, you know, guests come through to also receive healing. So we're wanting to create a seed library. There's lots of plants on Jaffron Country around the um, Gary Word, Grampians, that are very specific to that area, which I'm looking at um, at the moment. There's an old gum tree, um, prehistoric gum tree. It's called the Grampian gum. And I haven't actually seen one in person yet, but um, I'm really keen to regenerate that particular um, gum tree that is really only found on Gary Word, on the Grampians. So we're trying to, you know, hopefully the space that we get is close enough to that climate to be able to bring that, that particular gum back. And there's also, like, a lot of, you know, lilies and orchids that hold a lot of um, medicinal uses um, for us in that area. Yeah, the initiative, there's a lot of ideas that are floating around you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of dreams that can come out of a land base that's not held up by anybody else and um, not restricted. And, um, you know, this, I guess for me, this is an opportunity to try and remedy the land and the waters as well and to, you know, invite other people to get involved in that because to remedy the land and the waters in the, is in the best interest of everybody, not just Aboriginal people. Yeah, and I think um, what I'm also kind of hearing in, in what you're saying is this is a relational healing as well where, you know, healing people and healing country, um, building a resource for future generations as well um, mm-hmm. to be able to come and have this space. So mm-hmm. why is it so important to get this up and running as a largely autonomous and community-connected and importantly aboriginal sovereign led movement it's important for the, for our survival like it's you know we're doing this out of survival you know it's still something that we're doing out of survival like I, our people are we live every day out of survival everything we do um say is out of survival and you know i guess it's you know i'm pushing my self determination and that exercise um, outside of the current bubbles of opportunities right now to have something that's not really been exercised um, for a very long time. Um, our people have um, exercised this self-determined right to grow our own foods and to have farms, um, and they have been historically closed down. Like this is not something... That's particularly new, new. It's it's just a little bit of a different time frame, time. Yeah, it's it's slightly different, and we can, you know, we'll see. I guess only time will tell um, how successful this can be. Like I don't, I don't know. I don't really have very much um, of examples in this country to lean on or look at um, at the moment. So 
yeah, it's important to push the boundaries and to to try something new. And I want, I, like, I really want that for future generations to be pushing the boundaries that we um, that we have set around us, you know, as oppressed peoples. Yeah, and this exercise of of sovereignty in practice also, you know sort of begins with being able to just start out by securing a piece of land to be able to do this on. Um, so I wanted to kind of turn quickly to to the fundraiser um, mm-hmm. that you've set up to to be able to fund this initiative. So what was what was the sort of key, you know, primary goal with that? Yeah, I guess what we've got our eyes on um, a particular piece of land at the moment in a little area just on the west side of Ararat. It's a 9.3 hectare lot, or two lots, I think. And yeah, it's, it's 175 to 185. We don't know why there's two different parts. I've never brought land before, so I don't know. Um, this is all new to me. But yeah, we've just, we've found a piece of land on realestate.com. It's on the GoFundMe for everyone to see, like, this is, um, this is what things cost. And it's, you know, um, yeah, the, the yeah, I guess the essential goal is two hundred thousand dollars, and that will and allow us to yeah buy this land and maybe build a little a shack that we can start putting seeds in or gardening tools and make some um, canucks. Yeah, so. Um, there's that, but then there's an ideal goal of five $5 million. Um, we've decided to dream big, and that's for um, a lot more land. That's for um, 327,000, uh, 100.8, I think, hectares of land. So we're, we're looking at, you know, bigger dreams, but the smaller dream at the moment, the initial dream to get the essentials is to get this property that's um it goes across a river yeah it's got some beautiful old trees on there and it's you know calling out to us so this will this will help us you know to to set up a base i think and and work from there i'm wanting to really run this campaign for the next three years at least and build up an example of what we can do with the land what we what we're able to do with that you know we need we're wanting to document the land and the climate and the weather and seasons are in, you know, the plants and animals that are currently there. And so that's, yeah, it's a three-year goal to set up a base and then a 10-year goal to actually create something that's fully self-sustainable and functional. Well, if anybody is listening right now who has a substantial amount of money and would like to (laughs) donate, um, (laughs) please feel free. Uh, You can look up Warren of Canuck, that's W-U-U-R-N of K-A-N-A-K on GoFundMe. And please do chip in if you can. Um, Erika, thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak with me. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, okay, maybe I should say like Wuruk is means goodbye. And earlier I said Nyata, which means hello. And that's um, Kirewarong, Japarong language. So if you can learn some of our language before you come up and visit our initiative one day, that would be great. 
Awesome. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you so much. That was an interview with Arika Walu Daydem, who joined me to discuss their sovereign-led land-back initiative, Wern of Canuck. And you can find out more information about the initiative on Instagram at at W-U-U-R-N of K-A-N-A-K, where there are updates about what it's trying to achieve, updates about the fundraiser. And, yeah, please do chip in if you can. Yeah, and absolutely check them out on Instagram. That's where I've been finding all of my information about the land back project, which is just incredible. Um, and just keep following that project because Arika, yeah, really needs to get to $200,000. So share very widely. And now, um, on that note, we are going to play a song uh, that was produced uh, by Dreaming Now and it features Emily Wuramara. It's called Get Back to the Land, and it's also a beautiful rendition of Archie Roach's song by the same name. Here it is, Get Back to the Land. Intense pressures, destructive misdirection from election to election. We need transformation to address it. But how we gonna heal if the people's disconnected? How we gonna heal if our mother's disrespected? So much information, facts so rejected. Neglect the willful ignorance, yelling at truth is not accepted. Reject the while society fall apart into depression. That sacredness of land is waiting for all to be connected. See, it's so sacred. From thousands years ago into the present To everywhere we step in We step upon a blessing Whilst I hear the land singing ancestors Gardens never left us Back to the land Dear Lord, no question Living unconditional love with each breath here Never, ever, ever, ever. 
So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, and that song that we just played was Get Back to the Land by Dreaming Now and Emily Wuramara. So next up, Fan Yang is a PhD candidate at the School of Communication and Creative Arts at Deakin University, and she researches and publishes on Chinese technologies overseas, the effect of large-scale international social media platforms in terms of cross-jurisdictional tensions and expectations and their cross-border effects on political activity, identity, surveillance, and information privacy. So she joins us now to discuss uh, the QR codes, COVID-19, and surveillance. Good morning, Fan, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, everyone. Uh, So firstly, Fan, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm currently doing PhD um, at Deakin University. So my PhD thesis looks at um, digital Chinese ethnic media in Australia. Um, so basically how, like, the, I'm looking into the internal workings of those news-focused um, WeChat official accounts in Australia, especially how they produce news and how those media workers, they interact with the back-end interface of WeChat official accounts and also um, front-end interface of WeChat official accounts. And also I'm looking at how um, the platform norms started overtaking the journalistic norms and how, as the media, they have been historically marginalised by the English-dominant um, media in Australia and also how this newer forms of media, they got marginalised by the you know conventional forms of journalism as well. Yeah, so that's basically my PhD thesis. But also, um, I also research on surveillance and um, privacy, data privacy. And recently, I published a paper with um, Luke Kamensbergen and also Robbie Fordyce. Um, so basically, we compare um, COVID tracing technologies across China, Australia, and also New Zealand. 
Okay, and we'll actually talk a bit about that in the interview. But firstly, so from November 23rd, uh, systems to capture contact details electronically, so mainly through QR or quick response codes, uh, to become mandatory in New South Wales for businesses for contact tracing purposes. Um, so, uh, well, firstly, could you briefly outline what uh, QR codes are and how they work and explain how such a system would look like? Yeah, sure. Um, what QR code stands for the idea of quick response code. So it seems like it is an updated version of um, one-dimensional or two and two-dimensional barcodes. Um, the reason that they call QR code, well, we can see that there's some, you know, uh, aesthetic difference between QR code and also the barcode that we scan in, you know, any supermarket and attest on any kinds of products. So. There is some difference in the sense that QR code is a flyer, and they are composed by um, they are composed by different dots. Um, those dots are not human readable, but they are machine readable. They are composed by, for example, finite pattern, error correction, mark pattern, timing pattern, alignment pattern, and different cells that contain information or data. So basically the idea of QR code is to facilitate quick scanning and quick reading process. Um, the idea of QR code or the initial implementation of QR code starts in the 1990s in Japan in, a, um, in an automobile factory which is called Denzel Wave. So Denzel Wave is a um, subsidiary um, company for Toyota Moto Corporation in Japan and um, basically what they did was that they attached QR code on each component of the vehicles that they produced in order to trace the production process of this code. And then the code got, um, then the code was adopted on WeChat in China and also um, yes, I think they were adopted in um, WeChat in China very early in 2011. So just just so you know, uh, WeChat was launched in China in um, January 2011, and immediately they launched QR code on that platform um, to facilitate instant connection. For example, each WeChat user, they are able to generate a QR code which containing their own uh, personal profile um, on WeChat. And if you want to connect with another user, you just need to scan QR code um, with your camera, with WeChat camera, and you should be able to connect with another, um, another user. But at that time, QR code is not that popular. Um, was not that popular. Um, in approximately 2014, in the Spring Festival in China, there has been a competition between WeChat and Alipay, especially in the e-commerce area, in the e-commerce sphere. Um, so basically what they do is that they started incorporating QR code into the payment function. And to facilitate the popular, popularization of this function, um, they incentivize um, small to medium business like those street vendors to use QR code to um, achieve their payment. Um, so basically at that time what they did was 
it's you know it's very easy to print out QR code. It's and also it's far cheaper to print out QR code on a piece of paper than buying uh you know for example the um the machine with which you can scan your um, credit card etc. So during the Spring Festival, there was a strong competition between WeChat and also Alipay, and they were competing who could gain the dominance around China's e-commerce sphere um, with QR code. And then um, in 2000, and um, I think approximately in 2014, when I was back in China visiting my family when I was in Suzhou, which is a very technology-intensive city, um, I walked into a restaurant with my cousin, and weirdly, I found out that there were some staff members in the restaurant, but they were not serving the customers. But it was like we entered the uh, we entered the restaurant at our lunch time. At lunch time, uh, they were standing in a corner doing some team building, you know, activities. And we entered the restaurant, and they was like, "Okay, so no one's going to come and serve us. No one's going to, you know, come and greet us." Um, and then I saw my uh, I saw my cousin. He turned out his WeChat, um, WeChat camera and he scanned a QR code on a table. I was like, what does that mean? And then he's like, okay, you can try. And then I used my WeChat and a scanned QR code on a table. And then I was immediately alerted with the information that if I would like to, if I would like the business to gain the, gain the access to my WeChat profile and also further, I was like, for business, I do not think that is necessary for them to access my photo and also my personal information on WeChat. So I said no, and then I got no access to the restaurant's menu. With my cousin, he said yes, he clicked yes, and he would be able to access the menu of the QR code, uh, the, the menu of the restaurant. And then he just made all the dish orderings and also payment um, that... Um, on that mini program installed um, by the restaurant through a QR code. And I was like, that was amazing. But then I was like, wait a minute. How our data would be processed or collected or stored by the restaurant? And what's the deal with the restaurant? How they're going to store data? And what are the third parties? that we probably don't know would be able to get our data, for example, or WeChat profile, um, or um, photos, or private information, even or real-time geolocation. Uh, yeah, so... I mean, like, Fan, that's like um, like perfect example of, like, I guess, leading to... Um, like what's happening now with um, QR codes um, being used or like recommended um, in in restaurants and uh, sort of venues across um, like the, the country. Uh, I guess could you could you speak to that? What are what are the concerns that it raises um, over data being like over data storage and also data being sold to third parties for data matching and and marketing purposes? Like, can you speak about that as well a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, so 
basically, um, we are aware that COVID-safe application in Australia, they have already triggered so many privacy concerns um, recently, well, since this launch, right? And then at this moment, I think I'm witnessing another wave of innovation by incorporating QR code into COVID tracing activities um, initiated by the state government. Where I I wouldn't say that QR code is a solution, where QR code is a solution to mitigate private um, concerns, especially the um, the data like how data are processed is not yet very clear. And I actually have a diagram in terms of how data uh, how data are processed through QR code. Basically, when the user, they use QR reader, which is already being imbued within their cameras and also, um, for example, their um, messaging apps. So when the user, they set the request to the third party by scanning the QR code. They actually sent an OAuth 2.0 request for granting access to the native platform, which can be your camera, can be your WeChat, can be your Facebook Messenger or Instagram. So the native platform, they request users grant and authentic um, authentication which was the alert or uh, notification that I received while I scanning the uh, while I scanned the QR code in a restaurant. So they asked me if uh, if they if I'd like to grab them with access to um, to my WeChat profile, and then when user grab the access native platform, they received the um, notification and they orientate the third party application with user temporary code. So in that sense, user's data are being processed by the third party application, which can be a business, which can be the restaurant, which can be government facilities or you know infrastructures, and also the native platform, which can be your for example, WeChat, social media applications, or your camera. And then they exchange the code, the third-party application, and also the native platform. They exchange the code. They, um, they, they exchange the code with access token of user's profile. In that sense, user's data are being exchanged by third-party association and also native platform. And then the native platform returns the access token to third-party association, um, third-party application. Okay, so in that sense, it seems like all data are being mobilized around users, third-party application and also native platform. But is that the, you know, a complete picture of how all data are being used. I would say no, because when the scanning process is initiated, all data can be collected by telecommunication companies, by the government, and the scanning process or the data collection process can also trigger, you know, can also um, lead to um, 
um, for example, um, data collection and also data storage. But in that sense, how our data are going to be used by, you know, more than third party, by the government, by the public facilities or by um, public health departments. I would say it's a question mark. And there's a, um, there's an idea that I would like to bring out, especially, uh, when we talk about, um, surveillance and also, um, government surveillance and also the abuse of power in the process of surveillance. So there's an idea uh, proposed by Susanna Robert, uh, which is, um, called instrumentarian power. So in her work, she talked about, um, there's, um, corporate social media platforms like Facebook and also Google, they collect data from the users. On the one hand, they use some of the data to predict the future, um, to predict the future behavior of the users in order to feed them appropriate content that users, uh, users are interested. And on the other hand, they collect too much data and they, um, they collect too much data and they store too much data and they use this data excessively to, and also they abuse their power in the process of data collection and data analysis and they tend to distort or they tend to skewer users' behavior to their own benefit. Yeah. So that um, is, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry, Fan, but like we're, we're running out of time, but we'd love to get you back on to, to discuss this in further detail. Um, and especially the sort of like, um, the broader structures at, at play. Um, and, uh, but we have to go to our next interview now. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we'll have you back on in the coming weeks to talk a bit further about. Yeah. Sure. Sounds great. Thank you, Fan. You're welcome. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. It wasn't on. And now we're going to go to a song. This one is by Bumpy, Falling. Just a temporary love Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Just a 
company. That track there was falling by Bumpy, and next up we're going to be having a conversation with Viv Marlowe about the Beyond the Bars CD launch that is airing today from two to two thirty p.m. Blackfellas, we are the most imprisoned people per capita on the planet, and so what's what's your take on that, Sam? Uh, it's a very sad thing because we're also the smallest minority on uh, in Australia, the smallest group of people, and yeah. many of the boys and girls in prison. It's pretty sad, yeah. Hello. Hi, Kate Lee. This is Viv. How's it going? Yeah, not bad. How are you? Oh yeah, just in jail. Yeah. Yeah, I'm from Gippsland, but um, my friends from Yorta up near Chuka and Shepparton. It's good in here with the COVID, because we don't have to be locked down, because we just walk around like it's normal in here. Yeah. So if we got out, it'd probably be strange for us, because everyone's locked down. There's um, stuff put in place for social distancing, but us girls don't really, you know, we're mm. just breaking the rules, you know, so we don't really yeah. abide by Because we all think that we're, like, in jail, so we're, like, protected from COVID. We're already locked in place like a little community, so it doesn't really... It's not really affecting us. I don't think it's going to come... 
we're not going to believe that it's actually true until we go back outside and see what really happened. Because when I first got locked up, I got charged for being out of COVID, and I didn't know anything about it. And now in jail, it's just all the same. I don't really know how serious it actually is until I'm out there. Well, in here, I watch the news and stuff, so I hear about the COVID, but it's not actually doesn't really affect me as much in here than it does out there. And out there, I don't really watch TV, so I don't take notice of what's really going on. Um, I just worry about my family if they yeah, get COVID. I don't really know anyone that's had it, so it's not really real to me. If I, if I knew someone that had COVID and how serious it actually was, like you see it on the news, but you don't always believe everything on the news. And just then we heard an excerpt from the Beyond Their Bars project where they were calling into Dame Phyllis Frost Centre and just then Viv Marlowe was having a conversation with Katie Lee. And now on the line, uh, Viv Marlowe joins us. Welcome, Viv. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. This crew is back live in the studio, which is awesome. Um, and, yeah, can you tell us a bit more about how the Beyond the Bars project worked this year throughout COVID-19? Okay, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, Beyond the Bars was um, very different this year. And not only uh, uh, prison would, would have been very different this year. So I guess there was lots of scrambling to be done initially and it was all done over the phone. So from the end of the, the broadcasters and 3CR side, we were in a room at 3CR calling into the prisons and the men and women were in rooms on their own. So that was a bit different, sitting on the room on their own where normally normally we'd um, be a, a group of people all together in a room, broadcasters, the techs and the, the inmates we're speaking to. So that was really different. It was just a voice. Yeah, I could hear that too this year. I mean, and just must be so difficult for people in prison who, yes, didn't get to have that connection with people from 3CR doing the Beyond the Bars project, but also haven't had much you know, connection with community or family all throughout COVID-19 because family visits have been suspended and also a lot of the services that also visit uh, people in prison have also been suspended. Um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about some of the stories that you were hearing from people? Okay, yeah, look, I guess like many things, you know, there's good and bad sides. Some people yeah, didn't like didn't like that idea. They wanted the face-to-face. There are other people that expressed that 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 was at least they could speak to people they may not have seen at all. You know, people interstate, they could Skype, so they could use technology to to maybe see people they may not have, the elder, you know, um, elder relatives um, that maybe couldn't have travelled. So it was a bit of both, what I remember. So yeah, yeah, no people, um, yeah like can now have Skype or Zoom calls. So it means that, you know, sometimes people um, and families that couldn't actually visit the prison can now, you know, Skype and Zoom um, people in prison. But, oh, yeah, on the flip side of that also, yeah, like there isn't, hasn't been much like human um, and like connection with people 
being able to go into the prison. So, yeah, it's like some positives, some downsides, and also I do worry about what will happen in the future as well now that this technology has been brought in because people need that human connection. So I really hope that now that COVID restrictions are easing in the community, that they also start easing in prisons. Um, Viv, can you talk a bit more about the history of the Beyond the Bars? Okay, look, uh, it's been around, I believe this is, I should know this off the top of my head, but I think 18 years or more. And there were people, I guess, you know, this is why 3CR is such an amazing space. People attached to 3CR some some time ago wanted to, and had the opportunity to to 3CR to go and give um, the voiceless a voice to... um, you know, during during NAIDOC week, so I wanted to speak speak to Aboriginal prisoners and just give them a connection. It was nothing. And of course, over the years, the in, the the prisoner numbers have just increased exponentially. So there's just there's there's, you know, there's more voices. I, I guess it was yeah, people that that gave that cared that um some time ago, Gillian McGuinness. People, um, you know, Shirley Hood, Kutcher, Edwards, many Aboriginal people that have been attached to 3CR. The techs are, uh, uh, that I've worked with through 3CR, Raya, Lara, are just, you know, people in the background, Michaela, dedicated to giving people a voice. Um, and that dedication, you know, um, is contagious. <laughs> the good contagious. And... I got on board a few years ago, and it's really hard for me. I found it really hard to um, to. Um, it's very emotional. It's very close to home. Talking to you know countrymen and women in behind bars, it's it's very hard. And to hear the you know, you get to hear a lot of stories about backgrounds of people. You get to sort of connect up the issues, I guess, in the, in the bigger picture, potentially, you know. Well, these are things I see. You can see a bigger picture and, you know, the neglect, I guess, of Aboriginal people and, you know, the, the enormous amount that end up in jail, the over-representation. Um, so this is an incredibly important project. Um, this is something, I guess, that, you know, 3CR, I, I, I love 3CR for it. And, yeah, I'm very grateful for it. Thank you so much, Viv, for sharing your thoughts about the Beyond the Bar project. It is just such an incredible project because I think so often people in the community have all these preconceived ideas about what, you know, people in prison think, like how they think. And, I mean, we played that little conversation between you and Katie Lee at the very beginning and Katie Lee was just like, she's like, COVID, what COVID? There's no COVID in here. (laughs) That's not a concern of mine, but she did talk about um, worrying about her family a lot. And, um, yeah, it's just such an incredible project. And thank you so much to the Beyond the Bars team for pushing through this year and doing all those conversations via phone because um, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been, that extra layer of, um, yeah, not being able to, like, be and sit with, yeah, like family, really. 
yeah. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a face-to-face person myself, and it was that, yeah, just a little extra level of difficulty with that. But, yeah, we got it. We got this audio, and there's some amazing, um, you know, discussions and, yeah, some gold on there. Yeah, absolutely. So today is the launch and it's airing from 2 to 2.30 p.m. Um, how can listeners uh, listen in? I know, well, if they're tuning in um, live, they can tune in and listen to that. They can also um, get a copy of the CD via 3CR by either phoning in Walking in or knocking on the door. Oh, I'm pretty sure we can do that now. <laughs> Correct me knock if on I'm the door, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, or um, yeah, on the website, the, the CD will be available shortly, very soon. Yeah. And it's um, usually yeah covering the four or five prisons. Perfect. Awesome. So, yes, listeners, um, the 2020 Beyond the Bars City launch is on air today from 2 to 2.30 p.m. So stay tuned to 855 AM, 3CR. And also, yeah, just get in contact with 3CR, phone up the station, um, you know, send 3CR an email if you're wanting a copy of the CD so that you can listen to all of the fantastic conversations that the Beyond the Bars team at 3CR had with people across uh, six prisons. Oh, six prisons um, across Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Viv, for joining us this morning. No worries at all. Thank you. Fellas. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton, or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.